Welcome to another edition of the McCovey Croncast. I'm Brian Murphy, and with me is... Doug Brizzoni. Doug, I wanted to get you out front and center here because it's it's a big week for you, I feel, because um, Aaron Hill is probably going to make the team. Aaron Hill <laughs> is probably going to make the team, and nothing good can come from that. Uh, and rather, I would say rather famously, astutely, I, I'm 100% behind what you did here. Doug, if you didn't know, listener... Doug wrote uh, an article saying Aaron Hill making the Giants roster out of spring training would be the worst thing since Steve Finley made the roster out of spring training. Uh, and I wholeheartedly, full-throatedly agree that <laughs> that, that is basically you're, you're putting an urn in a Giants uniform and then putting it on the bench. Yes. Just, uh, Aaron Hill is going... It, even if he's good, he'll he'll be good for just long enough so that he can stay on the roster twice as long when he's bad. There is no positive outcome that will come from him being on this team. I'm going to call it right now, and then if I'm wrong, then we're going to delete this episode. <laughs> or at least this opening part, because we've got some good stuff coming around. Uh, we we have... do have good stuff coming around, which is rare. <laughs> yes, we have uh, part two of our NL West preview. We'll be joined by Adam Peterson from Purple Row, um, which, hey, let's let's form a truce. Let's, I don't know. <laughs> Adam's great. He'll, he'll be on to talk the Rockies. And then later, we will have uh, Jason Holtham, who is a writer on the TV show Pitch on the Fox Television Network. And that is a television show, Doug. I don't know if you know this. Uh, it's a show about the San Diego Padres. Uh, and we are bringing him on to talk about the fictional San Diego Padres because I think you'd agree that they are far more entertaining than the real Padres. That's absolutely right. The show actually accomplishes the heretofore thought impossible task of making the Padres look interesting. <laughs> I mean, and it, they, the show is shot in an exciting style. It literally, you could not shoot those uh, uniforms any more uh, exciting than they are shot on that show. It's true. Uh, it, it almost makes you want to watch the Padres on a regular basis. So we brought a writer in from the show to talk about the fictional Padres and a little bit about the fictional Giants. Uh, so that's in store later in the meantime. And then we'll also have your Twitter questions, which I don't know. Last week's were pretty good. They have a lot to kind of uh, live up to. And um, looking through them, I would say that right off the bat, uh, people didn't do so great. But there are good questions in there. <laughs> what a sell job. Uh, I guess to close the Aaron Hill conversation for now, I really want to know, Doug, if you think at the end of his Giants career, it will be so memorable that it will replace his current image on his Wikipedia page, him in a Giants uniform. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say no. But on the other hand, I'm not sure exactly what photo's on his Wikipedia page right now. He is, it could uh, be not that good of a photo. It is a bad-looking photo of him in yeah. with the Arizona Diamondbacks. It looks like he's a little child in an adult's uniform. Like a and he's looking costume. away from the camera. Honestly, right. just the quality of the photograph might mean it gets replaced by one of him in a Giants uniform. <laughs> uh, if you didn't know this, folks, go to Steve Finley's Wikipedia page and uh, forever giant, apparently, Steve Finley. <laughs> he's wearing his stupid Giants uniform. I mean, what a stupid giant he was. He was not Ricky Leday bad, but oh man, when you consider how he ripped their guts out in 2004 and the fact that by the time he came on the team, he really was bad. He was coming off a bad year. 
and then he was bad for them. Ugh. <laughs> I, here, here's the way I always put it. The Giants traded Edgardo Alfonso for Steve Finley. Edgardo Alfonso was a disaster for the Angels that year. He didn't have that many plate appearances because he was terrible, and he was done. Both teams lost that trade. <laughs> Let us never forget that Edgardo Alfonso is beloved by Mets fans. And I wouldn't say he's loathed by the Giants fans, but we definitely got all the downside of Edgardo Alfonso's career. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a bad player the whole way through. Um and so there we go. There's the end of that. Let's talk about one of the, let's talk about the greatest giant of all time, because this is very important. Barry Bonds is back with the organization. So just announced today as we're recording this. Uh, so now he is a he is now a legitimate forever giant. Because <laughs> there was he some is. question there, Doug. <laughs> so he's back well, with yeah, the organization. For a long time he was, yeah. you know, he was retired, and we were seeing Wall of Fame ceremonies for J.T. Snow and. Kirk Reader, you know, I love J.T. Snow, love Kirk Reader, but there was another guy on those teams. There was even one for uh, Woody, the old Navy mascot. There was a wall. There was. There was one for. Uh, there was one for Rusty, the yeah. mechanical man. Who That's right what it field. is. It's who looked like Woody. Gosh. Who, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's. If you go by, past the Wall of Fame, look really closely. He's definitely <laughs> he's there. on there. He's there. Uh, Steve Finley. He had a Wall of Fame ceremony as well. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, to be fair, that one was then removed by Giants fans. That's right. And the team message. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's only positive. If, if you're a Giants fan, I would say even if you're in the middle of... I would say if you're a Giants fan and you're sort of bothered by the cloud that obviously surrounds Barry Bonds, I would say this is still a positive because without Barry Bonds the last 25 years of Giants baseball history doesn't exist. Yeah. Barry Bonds was so massively important to this franchise that like, even if you don't like him to say that he shouldn't be on the wall of fame is empirically wrong. You're just incorrect. It's like getting the wrong answer on a math test, except it's the easiest math test you've ever taken. And there's no math. And what the hell is wrong with you? Uh, and even if you're Bob Costas and he's like, okay, 99 or after 99 is when he started juicing up, you know, up to 99, he was still a Hall of Famer. You know, he, he's, there's, there's so many ways to kind of slice this that all ends with Barry Bonds was a phenomenal baseball player. If he was in a Giants uniform for a lot of those great years, uh, you know, anyway, when you want to cut it. So, I mean, unless you're me from last year and before, you know, enjoy this. This is a good thing. <laughs> but beyond that, he's going to be back in an advisory role. There are two really funny things I really enjoyed from the news, from this announcement. And that is your tweet from earlier today, um, where you said the left field uh, position is now an open competition, um, which yes. is great because Jarrett Parker was all but announced by, of course, the beat reporters. So how accurate is it uh, that Jared Parker has essentially won the left field job? Uh, no questions asked. But Barry Bonds being back at the organization. I mean, I think the world, I think Team USA should have probably considered bringing Bonds in in one of those tournaments. Maybe not this year. But like the first, the inaugural one, why not? <laughs> why didn't they have Barry Bonds on Team USA? <laughs> they should have. There, even even 2009, he probably should have been on Team USA. I mean, 
it's it's you're leaving money on the table. So I enjoyed that part of it, but then I also enjoyed um, I enjoyed Grant's whole article because oh I've kind of missed my point. Oh I found it again, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where he would be advising a lot of the you know he'll be here helping advising the the younger giants, and he certainly did that a few years ago in Giants camp. Uh, and who knows? It turned Brandon Crawford into an amazing hitter. I'm sure that was the exact cause of it. But yeah, you know. cause and effect. So now that he's going to be talking to Derek Parker for a week, he also will become a great hitter. <laughs> Just a week. That's all it takes. Just a week. Yeah, but you know, like Brian Reynolds is going to get some, you know, some input, and um, I'm totally blanking on the oh Christian Arroyo. You know, those those guys could certainly benefit. They're all already talented players, but it couldn't hurt. And I would say that an advisor is probably. The, the ceiling for Barry Bonds coaching abilities because the reports out of Miami were so, somewhat that he got kind of aloof or got kind of bored with the job here and there. It could be because the team was bad and it was just kind of boring to help a bad team, which <laughs> I would certainly sign on with. But I think just the other, the grind of doing it every day when you're a coach and you're not playing and you're Barry Bonds, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. No, I absolutely. Like, I mean, you're so used to it. And it must be hard for a great player to coach and be a really good coach because, you know, for him, such a big part of the equation was natural talent. And he certainly, not to say he didn't work his ass off as a player, but that's just something that, you know, you can't replicate in most guys, the talent that he had. So it's it's tough to say that he should make a good full-time coach. So it's I think it's good that he has a part-time, a more part-time role or more roving role or an advisory one. I think a guy like him appreciates the the blank check nature of his job where he can just kind of walk in and say, do this, and then leave <laughs> and not be beholden to clocking in and clocking out. Basically, every day on the Marlins job was like the beginning of Star Trek Generations for him, where he's, <laughs> he's Captain Kirk walking onto the bridge of the new Enterprise, and he's like got to shut up while the captain and their stupid crew tries to deal with the problem. And he's like, I can fix this in two seconds. Right, and he and he's like, well, <laughs> "Well, where's the payroll? When's the payroll going to show up?" They're like, "Well, Tuesday." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the answer to everything. So that's, I don't know. I think Bonds and that Star Trek Generations reference, by the way, <laughs> which you're welcome for. <laughs> One of the rare times it could be cited. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say also, um, I guess sort of the last good thing is well, oh, another part of Grant's article I really liked was. The idea that if there's going to be an exception to the Giants' very astute rule about retiring jersey numbers in the organization, which the rule is, if you didn't know, the policy is, unless you're in the Hall of Fame, the actual Hall of Fame, they're not going to retire the actual jersey number. The exception might be Barry Bonds. I would say that is absolutely true. Yeah. No, I mean, it's he, he's a Hall of Fame player without any doubt by anyone ever, pretty much. You know, even the people who don't want him to be in the Hall of Fame acknowledge that he was a great player. Like, just as a player, he was great enough. But that at know. some point in time, he was a Hall of Fame caliber player. Even the majority, the, the majority of the people who are against him being in the Hall of Fame, not all of them, but the majority, even they're like, at some point in his career, he was a Hall of Fame baseball player. Yeah. So, yeah, put, put him, retire that number. And also, no Giants fan ever wants to see someone else wear 25. That'd be ridiculous. That would just be I, ridiculous. I mean, I'm pretty sure m- most of us over 30 still get pretty upset when someone's wearing number 22. Right. 
and that's been worn by tons of people. Like if if even the fighting the Phillies didn't cause us to, to yes. rethink that, I don't know what will. So many unworthy people wearing twenty two since Will Clark. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, welcome back, Barry Bonds. I guess that's the question, you know, that's the main thing. Also, this does, Doug, I want to point out, this does lay the groundwork for maybe him accidentally being on the Croncast. Right. I think, I think so. We just have to trick him into it. Just imagine, for example, if Brian Strabian will ever talk to us again, and we, we go to Skype him in. And for whatever reason, Barry Bonds was like sitting in front of the computer and he goes, hello, this is Bonds. <laughs> and just by accident, I'm st- I, st- I stole that joke from Carmen C. on, on Twitter. I apologize, Carmen. Uh, he's, he's the editor of LA Weekly, so I apologize. <laughs> but he has a great image. I retweeted it earlier uh, on Tuesday. I don't know when you're listening to this. The 21st. So check it out. It's a good, it's a funny picture. Anyway, that's the way, that's the main way I see him getting on the show. Certainly no other way. <laughs> right. That's it. That's the only way it's possible. Uh, and now in, in more shaky transition, someone who's definitely not getting on this Croncast because he's probably not going to be on the team for a long time is left-handed reliever Will Smith, who's probably out for the year. Yeah. Uh, with a, with an uh, UCL sprain. It, it looks bad or for tear. him. The Giants traded Andrew Susak and Phil Bickford for him last year, and uh, then the bullpen was still bad afterwards, and now Will Smith is hurt. So that's that's not working out so great. It's no. uh, it's also sad for him, you know, as a person and as a player, and it's sad for the Giants who now have to rely on Josh Osich, who was awful last year. You know, he had some minor injury that he had surgery for over the offseason, but he hasn't looked better this spring. And they have to rely on Stephen Okert. And those are really their two lefties that they have um, in the role that Will Smith would have had. I think according to union rules, he can't. Uh, Javier Lopez couldn't sign with the Giants for less than 80% of his salary from last year. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I might be. I, or I maybe it's in a long-term deal. sign him anyway. <laughs> What, you're saying he's not worth $5.6 million? <laughs> I, I'm comfortable saying that, yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, I think it's if like it's in a long-term deal. Like, you can't change. You know what I mean? Like, he can't, in cons- whatever. It's it's consecutive years deal. Yeah. Uh, uh, Okert, Osich, and then, uh, for some reason, I always want to say that Ray Black, but he's not. He is not yep. left-handed. Um, but in any case, I, uh, I would say that the Giants' bullpen is in trouble because of that, as you pointed out, but I would say more so because there's grumblings out of the press box. Those old farts in the press box are relaying the old farts farts from around, you know, the scouts or whatever, that Matt Cain is probably going to make the rotation now and Ty Block is going to move to the bullpen. And I think that that is a terrible idea because now we are basically going to be entering 2017 as the Giants entered 2016, where they had at least one gaping hole in the rotation. Uh, I don't think everyone expected Jake Peavy to be a, a, a two whip and a 10 ERA after one month. But you know, between him and Kane being as bad as they were last year, I, I could see Samarja and Kane being just as bad after one month. And so basically now we're off to the races. The bullpen's pitching every day, like multiple innings, using three or four relievers. 
and they're just going to be tired and, and bent out of shape and, and, and flummoxed as they were last year. So I think that's a big problem. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> I don't think Kane, really on, on the merit of his talent right now, should be on the roster. And this, this Will Smith injury is sort of giving the Giants an excuse to put him there, which is not great. Which uh, really doesn't help with the whole. Whoa! <laughs> which sorry. really doesn't help with the. I'm sorry, it really doesn't help with the whole Giants veteran fetish. Not at all. No. Because it, they are looking for opportunities, looking for reasons to go with that. So, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how else to feel other than, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of over getting mad about the same thing with the Giants every year. But at the same time, it's kind of hard not to be a little grumpy about, geez, we're still doing this crap? Like, so, the official trying... mood of the Croncast about this move, grumpily resigned. That's right. Grumpily resigned. There we go. Grumpy resignation <laughs> is the way to go. Uh, I guess some other things to point out uh, for for the Giants in this quickly ending uh, spring training thing is uh, Madison Bumgarner's look good. Johnny Cueto's look good. Matt Moore and Jeff Smart. Jeff Smart has looked really bad lately, and Matt Moore has looked shaky overall. But uh, Denard Span has looked okay, and uh, I would say overall the team has looked okay. But he, the main, the last big thing to kind of say is Michael Morris has a hamstring injury, so he's probably not going to make the team out of spring training. And Madison Bumgarner pointed out that Morris's goal this year was to make the team or retire. <laughs> So I guess I'm saying I don't want Michael Morse to retire. <laughs> so this this is a bit of a bummer, this hamstring injury. Yeah, I mean, there was some noise that he might be, if he's still hurt when the season opens, he might be okay with going to AAA for a while and then coming back to the team. But it would not, it would be with the aim of coming back, coming up to the, the Giants immediately. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I guess on the heels of what we were just talking about, if the Giants want him, they'll make they'll say as soon as you're off the DL, you're back, or you know after after a week of rehab, regardless of your results, you're you're up. Yeah, it seems like something they'll very easily do. Okay, joining us now from Purple Row, SB Nation's Colorado Rockies blog is Adam Peterson. Adam, welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. Uh, we're doing part two of our preview, and uh, I don't know anything about the Rockies, so you're going to have to tell us. Doug's got some questions, but I'm I'm in the wilderness here. Okay, well, Coors. It's, just chuck everything up to Coors. <laughs> okay, we can do that. It's That sounds really easy, so we're all about it. Yeah, well, so, yeah sounds about right. <laughs> so everybody on the team is basically... Uh, you know, a giant's killer in some respect. And Nolan Arenado is leading that charge. And they do it at sea level, too. That's the Rocky slogan in AT&T Park. We do it at sea level, too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, as a, as a person who watches them, what is sort of your, like, what is the, the magic that they have? What's the extra 2% they have over the Giants? Uh, I mean, in all seriousness... Uh, nothing because it feels like every time we t- watch our Giants game, we feel the exact same way. We feel like everyone's always killing us. Um, so to hear you guys talk about Nolan, like, oh man, he's he's such a Giants killer. It's it's really comforting because we feel the same way about Buster Posey. 
but I, on a uh, on another note, like I think there's something about the Giants and the Rockies, and and I know that y'all have your own thing with the Dodgers, but uh, in, in a way, like ever since you know that end of the 2000s, you know, 2009, 2010, like there's kind of a budding rivalry uh, just between the two teams when we we're both good at the same time. Uh, and the Rockies haven't been good since, but there's still this uh, kind of feeling like the team just needs to step it up against the Giants. Uh, Nolan, before the uh, World Baseball Classic, wrote this article about playing in the WBC with guys like Crawford and Posey, and he led the whole article off being like, man, we were going in there, and uh, it's the end of the season, and we wanted to spoil their chance at the playoffs, and then Crawford and Posey just killed us. And, man, like, I just can't stand, in so many words, I can't stand playing the Giants. Uh, so I think there's something about that. I mean, you'd like to think that there's, like, oh, well, we found this advantage here. Or, you know, we just really match up with all those guys who throw this pitch. But uh, I, just, I, I feel like we both feel the same way about each other's teams. <laughs> I really think that the the animosity, unfortunately, uh, can be traced all the way back to the Rockies being unable to beat the Atlanta Braves one time in, <laughs> in 1993. And I think that is what's kind of that was when the die was cast. And that's that's what's yeah. always going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Because well, the, the screw job the Giants experienced in 93 was so bad, Major League Baseball literally changed the foundation of their playoff race <laughs> to address it. <laughs> well, you guys should be thankful then because didn't you win a couple World Series by getting that wild card slot? And, uh, so it's really, funny. we were just playing. It's oh, a good point. Them. It's a good point. It is a good point, though. It was a fun <laughs> one. We're just we're just playing the long game for you guys. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to talk about real quick, uh, and Doug, stop me whenever. Uh, but I want to jump in here. Chad Bettis started a chemotherapy today, I believe, and mm-hmm. uh, and and obviously our thoughts are with him and his family, and that's extraordinarily scary. He was he last year became a rotation cog for them essentially. And he was actually really sharp against the giants as well. But, uh, you know, his health is most important. So ultimately this kind of doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But when you look at the Rockies pitching in general, do do you view it as on the upswing or is this definitely going to make them take a step back? Uh, it's, it's funny. It's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, like you said, like, you know, we're still kind of in that phase, especially since he just started chemo again. Like, and we just want him to get better. Yeah. Uh, but but when we start thinking about what's going on on the field, and you know, losing Chad Bettis is like it. It sounds weird to say because he, you know, when he first came up, he it was it was the ultimate spoonerism. You know, we called him Bad Chettis, and, <laughs> and 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 he was. I mean, it just it. You know, it was like, oh, they're, you know, what Chettis are we getting tonight? Are we getting good Chettis or bad Chettis? And uh, last year, we, we got good Chettis all the time. Uh, and, it, like, it was it was astounding, really. I mean, and uh, really, it, he was he was better than John Gray on a, on a wins above replacement level. Uh, and John Gray, absolutely the ace of the staff. Uh, 
And so, but Chad, in a lot of ways, was better than that. And so to lose him is is not a small thing for this team. Now, now that being said, uh, I think this is the year when, when people are going to realize, like, oh, you mean the Rockies can develop pitchers? And I'm not saying any, anyone's going to win a Cy Young Award anytime soon, but, uh, you know, there's this guy that I feel like not – enough people talk about Tyler Anderson who uh, has been compared to favorably, I I might add to Clayton Kershaw uh, several times, you know, you know, he's got this strange delivery, kind of like that pause that Kershaw has, but also like, you know, he's a big lefty and, you know, he gets the same kind of results has the same kind of pitch mix. uh, Except I think Tyler has a changeup that can actually work. Uh, Not that certain Clayton, but, uh, so we have Tyler Anderson. We, we've got uh, we've got John Gray who struck out 16 Padres in the game. Which, yeah, it's the Padres, but it's still 16 batters in a major league baseball game at Coors Field, uh, no less. Uh, overall, like the the pitching is, I think that's what's going to surprise people this year. Uh, you know, even losing Chad, we we still have a few guys. You know, we got uh, Jeff Hoffman in the trade that sent away Troy Tulewitzki to the Blue Jays and, and he's ready and he's, he's looked pretty decent and pretty decent in spring. Uh, you know, hasn't blown anybody away necessarily, but like there's a legitimate competition where we have him. We have another top prospect that we got by sending away Corey Dickerson and got him back from the Rays, uh, German Marquez or airman Marquez. And man, he's, uh, he, he, in the last game of the season, uh, he went and shut down a not terrible Brewers lineup in, uh, you know, in his little cup of coffee in September. Uh, and Antonio Sensatella, a guy who missed most of the year last year with, with injuries, has been blowing it away this spring. And so, like, whereas in years past, we were like, well, here you go, Kyle Kendrick, you be our opening day starter. <laughs> this year, we are saying man, we have all these young guys who can pitch. Who Who's going to not make it into the rotation? So definitely on the upswing. Uh, again, like I'm tempering our expectations a little bit because it's – I'm not saying like we're, uh, you know, the, the 2015 Mets or, or anything like that or the 2016 pre-injury Indians, but, but the pitching is going to surprise some folks, uh, even playing at Coors. Are you are you happy to be done with Jorge De La Rosa? Like, not just from a performance standpoint. I mean, I know he, he had a lot of good years, but and then he sort of fell off. But as a Giants fan, even even when he was, you know, he was pretty insufferable to watch. He took forever. No. Uh, I think a lot of us have a kind of a love-hate relationship with Jorge because he gave us those good years. Uh, but he also... He... Uh, he let his emotions get to him on the mound, and so that was super frustrating to try and watch a lot of the times. And uh, and you're right, the, the performance just wasn't there uh, at, at the end. And so it wasn't – it turned out to be okay watching him go. But again, two years ago, even last year, like you look at the Rockies and you're like, well, we need, we need someone to hold down this rotation. Like we need someone with experience like Jorge. But that's just not the case with these Rockies. Uh, these are these are not your older brothers 
Rockies. Uh, <laughs> they're they're going to be able to pitch a little bit. Uh, and that's been their the key to their success when they were, you know, a very solid team was that their rotation. You know, they didn't have two starters; they had four starters at least, and they could pitch more than five innings. And it wasn't just a slog through bullpen arm after bullpen arm. So you're right. you're feeling pretty confident. I mean, within the next two years, although baseball has a way of kind of tr- of always going a little bit faster than you might think, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Where you're thinking maybe it's not this year, it's next year, but it could just as easily be this year. But that's what you're hoping, right? A lot of six and a half or seven inning starts from these guys, uh, and your bullpen's not as exposed. Because uh, you've got some solid arms back there, but any bullpen, when you have to go six deep or whatever it is, you're going to get exposed mm. at some point. Right. I mean, it, that's exactly it. You know, we, 2009, 2010, even 2007, you know, th- those are, in most of us, in most of our minds at Purple Row and Rockies fans, like, those were the good years. And we had good pitchers. And yeah, some of those good pitchers were named Aaron Cook and Jason Marquis, but. You know they they still pitched really well, and so we the difference is like you say a name like those guys, and you're like, oh well, I guess Jason Marquis had good years. Like who would have thunk it? But <laughs> now now we're looking at guys who legitimately and legitimately can string together like a career. I'm not saying everyone's going to be an ace. You know, I think. Uh, you know, Tyler Anderson is a good example. Like, he's just a solid number three starter, which, like, we've never had a solid number three starter. And if we had a solid number three starter, we called him our ace. Like, it's – but but I also don't want you to sleep on that bullpen. Like, last year – last year was bad for the bullpen. Like, there was a stretch in January – or uh, July and August where it just seemed like no matter what they did, they, they were blowing games. And, you know, you look at all these uh, – advanced metrics like left on base percentage and you look at uh uh win percentage added and you know all these different advanced things and they were just so atrocious that there's no way that they could be that bad again this year but (laughs) well we as giants fans understand that sentiment but (laughs) we we also are definitely of the mindset of like well things can always get worse (laughs) uh okay how about Trevor's story? Any uh, have a quick progress? Is is he going to basically be very close to what he was last year, which was uh, unbelievably amazing? Oh uh, man, Trevor's story was a like that was just a great surprise for us last year. Um, you know, a guy hits six home runs in seven games or whatever it was, and you're just like, oh man, it was it was almost the opposite of that. It was well this is pretty good. Like, we'll take it. Like, but it can't get much better. But, you know, everyone kept saying, you know, he's, he's going to regress. He's going to regress. It's going to get worse. But, uh, man, he was better later in the year than he was at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, he figured out how to take a walk a little bit. He, uh, figured out, uh, you know, how, how to string together hits, you know, he, he didn't, he cut down on his strikeouts. You know, everyone thought, man, he's just going to swing for the fences and strike out. But he actually turned it around. He adjusted uh, as the season went on. And then, man, in August, he makes a makes a dive and play, but 
busts up his hand and he's out for the rest of the year. Uh, but he's shown power in spring, and so you know that's what you worry about with hand and wrist injuries, that he's not going to come back from that. But uh, I think, call me optimistic. Uh, call me someone who watches baseball at Coors on a regular basis, but I think he'll hit 30 home runs this year. But uh, I also think that he's going to be able to cut down on his strikeout rate, which was, again, not good uh, for most of the year, but got better as the season went on. He had 130 strikeouts in 97 games or 415 plate appearances. So, yeah, you know, over 25% of his plate appearances. Um, but, I mean, he if that was his season strikeout, let's say he plays 140 or 150 games, I think everyone would take that too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you think about the Rockies' rotation, if it does, if they are able to get three starters who can go deep, and they have the offense they have. So basically, Adam, what you're saying is, is that the Giants we're gonna ha- we're gonna hate the Rockies again. We're just yeah. Gonna, yeah. We're just um, gonna hate uh, if all goes well, prepare yourselves. Yes. Prepare yourselves <laughs> at least for the next couple of years. Uh, uh, while you guys were so focused on your neighbors down, your rivals down south, you're you're gonna get attacked from the east. <laughs> uh, Gerardo Parra is probably gonna have a bounce back year. He was really bad last year, um, which was such a surprise. (laughs) We have to talk about this, don't we? (laughs) He is on the team. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We could have avoided it if Desmond hadn't gotten hurt, but sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, really, it was Dahl. Like, uh, you know, David Dahl, who, you know, he came up in uh, late in the year. He came up in July, August, and just just tore the cover off the ball. And he had a an inflated Babbitt, and so like you know, but he was he was stinging the ball like he, he's just a good hitter, uh, and so we were really counting on him to push Para out to that fourth outfield spot because man, the guy, I mean, the guy walked like nine times in, in the entire season, like nine times, like you 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 you'd have to do that on purpose to walk that little, uh, like it's just. We try to give him away. You said he is on the team. It's just like we, we try and pretend that he's not. Um, but but now we have to because you're right. Desmond uh, got hurt. He got hit in the hand. You know, Dahl got hurt, and they should be back in April. But uh, Para, we want Para to be the fourth outfielder. Like, we think he's perfectly suited. He's a little expensive for a fourth outfielder spot. Uh, but that's, uh, that's what we'd like. Now, now, is Parra- that what we're going to get? Oh, if no. Parra were on the Giants and had the year he had, there would be no question that he would be the starting left fielder, and the manager would be trying to protect him, you know, from any advancing youngins. Essentially, mm-hmm. uh, so do you think that uh, Walt Weiss has any sort of that that game in his, or any of that skill in his game of veteran protection? Well. Walt Weiss definitely does, uh, but Walt Weiss is, fortunately, oh, yeah. <laughs> was not brought back. Oh, I totally forgot. This is great. I'm so wrong. This, yeah, it's, <laughs> Who the hell is managing the Rockies? This is great. We're keeping this uh, up. <laughs> well, <laughs> keeping it fresh. Keep, keeping it fresh. Uh, no, the, the Rockies brought on Bud Black. Uh, and oh, Bud Black is, he is a veteran, like, of some yeah. war, of, an, of, like, the Civil War. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but man, he is. 
I, we didn't really like the, a lot of us were like, man, they're going to hire Bud Black. Like, can't they hire someone different? Like, can't they, maybe Dave Martinez will come and manage this team. But, uh, as soon as they brought him on, like just the rhetoric, you know, the things that he was saying, like, it sounds kind of cheesy, but we're like, oh yeah, that this guy might actually be a really good manager for us. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but, uh, that is one thing that, uh, we're kind of afraid of, you know, they, they came into the season before or the spring training before Dahl got hurt and said, Hara and Dahl are going to compete uh, for the left field of their job. And we're like, what is that about? That, um, yeah, the worst baseball player in the league uh, and a, a rookie five, you know, top prospect who just tore the cover off the ball. What are you doing? And then, of course, gets hurt. Uh, so there is that little bit of trepidation if he's going to pull a bochi. I mean, they did work very closely together uh, for a very long time, if I remember correctly, uh, down there in San Diego. Uh, and I don't know. Bud Black came from uh, Anaheim. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. See, we're both wrong about Bud Black. That's, See, that's this right. Is, this is great. We're just, we're just keeping it balanced. But yeah, exactly. Uh, I was checking to see a comp because it just popped into my head. Was Gerardo was Gerardo Parra? Excuse me, I know how to say his name. Was Gerardo Parra worse or better than Denard Span? And I actually thought he was better than Denard Span, but he was actually worse. Yeah, which is pretty hard to do because uh, Denard Span was not benched the whole season or at any point point in the season when he should have been. He played, you know, forty more games, and he still was able to have a higher OPS somehow. <laughs> yeah, like if if Gerardo Parra had not gotten hurt uh, in like late May, early June, we would have had a very similar situation. I of that I have no doubt. Uh, and so, but it would have been worse, like been <laughs> even worse than that. Well, so. the Bud Black signing is great. One because it surprised me just now. But two, also, you know, it does help the pitching staff because Bud Black obviously was a pitching coach, uh, and he has, you know, that he was a pitcher, and uh, and that's mm-hmm. sort of his, you know, that's his expertise level, and it is a little bit different when you have catchers and pitchers managing uh, the game because that really is where the manager makes the most difference, by and large, uh, on paper, the intangibles of what they can do managing personalities in the clubhouse. Obviously, can't. It's harder to put on paper, but uh, you know mm-hmm. when to make the right. right call, when a guy's done, or when a guy looks like he might be done, but maybe it's like he can push through this. Uh, and that seems like something, you know, because Clint Hurdle is, is what the most famous, the the best Rockies manager that there's ever been, right? And you know, yeah. they, they haven't really had a pitching guy kind of steering the ship so much. Oh, they had Jim Tracy. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's a oh, that's bad. <laughs> Jim Tracy last Jim Tracy turned around that 2019 uh and ended up getting like a handshake lifetime contract thing or whatever. Uh and then th- this is how you know how bad it got for the Rockies. He was like, "You know what? I'm good." You know, <laughs> finally he t- he just said, "You know what? You know, you, c- you can keep it." And that's why they had to Hire Walt Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, you know, and Clint Hurdle is, is a great personality uh, and a great clubhouse guy too. So, 
but yeah, Bud Black is a good hire, and, uh, and I guess the the Nationals' um, thriftiness was the Rockies' gain, which is funny yeah. because the Rockies often get accused of being thrifty. Well, you know, if they would if they would stop opening up party decks, you know, and, and buy a pitcher, <laughs> which is the rhetoric around many a comment section, thankfully not ours, uh, but yeah, it's that was part of the. A concern is, are they going to be able to afford Bud Black? But, you know, it's, it seemed like he was excited for the challenge. You know, he looked at the pitching staff and said it multiple times. I'm really excited to work with this pitching staff. Uh, you know, we got a lot of young guys. And and you guys were saying, and, you know, I know I know you're skeptical about, you know, there's no way our bullpen could get any worse. I mean, when you go from Walt Weiss managing your bullpen to Bud Black managing your bullpen, uh, and you factor in all that bad luck that they had, I mean – it's a large part of the reason why we feel a lot better about the pitching staff going into this season, including the bullpen. Adam, I just want to point out that the party deck pays for the pitchers. That's... See, <laughs> that's what I've been trying to say <laughs> for all five, these years. Five party decks, five pitchers. That's that's how it works. <laughs> I, say, I say build more party decks. <laughs> Call it party, been, party deck there? It's no. Exactly. It's, it's a blast, man. It's... Just say party deck stadium at Coors Field, and you're all set. <laughs> yeah, you know, and people in Denver are used to weird names on their stadiums, uh, thanks to the Broncos. So yeah, that, I, I think that'll work. I, I'm going to call Dick when when we get done. Dick Montford, and, and see what he thinks about that. He responds to emails. What would you say the is their biggest strength and weakness for the team coming into the year? Hmm. Uh, the the strength. It can't be anything other than than the lineup. Uh, you know, when when you're looking at Charlie Blackman, T.J. LeMayhew, Carlos Gonzalez, Nolan Arenado, uh, Trevor Story, Ian Desmond, uh, David Dahl, uh, like I just listed seven names before I get to a guy that I'm nervous about, and that's that's our catching situation. You know, we got a couple young guys, Tony Walters and Tom Murphy, who. We think will be great, but you never know. You know, they're young prospects break your heart. Uh, so that, like, I I would take that lineup against uh, any, yeah, any in the league, maybe outside of Boston. Uh, now the the real test is, you know, the big the big weakness is, yeah, we're really excited about the talent of these pitchers that we have, but they're also really young and. Again, prospects will break your heart, and none more than pitchers. None more than pitchers at Coors Field. So, uh, to me, that's the biggest thing I'm nervous about. Uh, you know, we're getting a lot of uh, dark horse picks for a wild card run, and that that makes me nervous. That's not really a weakness. It just it scares me. You know, uh, you know, you, you hear enough people say, "Oh man, look at the Marlins! Like, I think they're a dark horse team," and you watch them flounder. Oh, uh, pun almost unintended uh and and you just start to get nervous about like man is is, is 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 there something wrong like can can we be good good is is this is this real so granted we a lot of us think like this is the opening of the window uh you know it's it's going to be the next few years that the Rockies are going to be uh contending but this year it's going to be a lot of well, 
let's let's see how good these guys can be. Um, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And you know, if we can make uh, Kuiper and Krukow, uh, you know, damn Coors Field to the pits of Hades uh, a few <laughs> times a year, then uh, then so much the better. Oh, can't wait for that first Coors meltdown of the year. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> oh, and the, the torture at AT&T Park is going to you know, just do wonders for my blood pressure as well. Well, there'll be another weekend series where the Giants blow uh, saves in all three games to get swept. That'll happen again. That was, that was fun. Um, yeah. A lot of memorable, tragic games <laughs> between these two <Yeah>. teams. <laughs> Yeah, the the walk off grand slam uh, by Spielborgs was as traumatic as Game Six as the two thousand two World Series for me personally. Like that was those two events have the same cosmic or or psychological effect on my brain. And I'll never forget that. I'm gonna make sure a lot of Rockies fans get to hear this because that will just warm their hearts. Because <laughs> that was one of the greatest. Well, Adam, you have to have a heart to warm it. And, uh, oh, oh. oh <laughs> when you're up a mile it. high, yeah. <laughs> uh, we just have yeah, big no. lungs. We don't need hearts anymore. So. Well, I, I'm pretty sure whenever Spielborgs is – does he do – I can't remember if he does – he's on MLB Network Radio every now and again, but doesn't he do Rocky's broadcast now? Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, so he brings it up every time he's on the air. Like, it could be the Rockies <laughs> and the Reds, and he's, he's talking about the walk-off Grand Slam. So. <laughs> Wouldn't you? No, yeah, no. When when Spielborgs is on the air, whatever he's doing, he'll he'll bring it up. It could be a Rockies versus Reds game, and he'll I, he'll mention it. And and I'm I'm just gonna say I, I would I would do the same thing. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I I don't fault him for it. Oh man. Oh well. Okay. So the so the Rockies. Uh, Adam, thanks. This is great. You helped me understand that they have a new manager. That uh, yes. they're gonna they're gonna win 162 games. Oh, when do you predict Dave Cameron's article anointing the Rockies will get published this year? Because it tends to fluctuate. <laughs> sometimes it's late April, sometimes it's mid May. Uh, so what's the over under? Wait, hold on. Let's <laughs> let, let's be clear about what anointing we get from Dave Cameron uh, every year because it rarely seems to be. It's the bad ones are the ones that stick out to us. Uh, but if you're talking about, hey, the Rockies might be good, that he, that one already came out. That came out like end of February, where uh, he got a the, jump. Yeah, he, he's he's ahead of it this year, which was again, it? one of those things that makes me nervous. Well, for the past three seasons, seriously, either of you can correct me on this, but for the past three seasons, the Rockies have either—I don't think it was last year—but they've had a stretch where they've been extraordinarily good to the point where it's like, whoa, maybe the Rockies are in the conversation. And if it wasn't 2016, 14 and 15, didn't they get off to a really hot start over the first six weeks of the season or so? And yeah. it, it, it definitely people thought, oh, if they can keep it up or you know, when they level off, still be good, they'll be in a hunt for a playoff spot. And in both years, I, they kind of just fell off I, a cliff. Yeah, and then May happens and everyone <laughs> hates everything and says, why do I follow this stupid sport? Um, yeah, because last year it was July and then – Trevor Story got hurt, and then Mark Reynolds got hurt, and then they didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, and the season was over. But hey, we had that one week in July. It was, uh, <laughs> it was great. 
well, Adam, we appreciate you taking the time, uh, and we certainly appreciate the work you do over at Purple Row, which is a great site. And uh, thanks for coming on. And where can people bother you, for the people who disagree with my assessment of your work, where can they bother you online? Or compliment you. Just compliment. Yeah, uh, so uh, complaints can be sent to at Purple Row BK. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's Brian Kilpatrick, Purple Row, at Purple Row BK on Twitter. Compliments can go to at PlayerTBNL on Twitter. Uh, that's player to be named later. All right, thanks again, Adam. Have a great yeah. season. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate right, it. Thank you. Good luck. Bye. Doug, you know what we forgot to talk about? What? The animosity between Purple Row and McCovey Chronicles. <laughs> you know, I don't know what kind of person would bring that up with our guest. Um, I certainly <laughs> wouldn't want to revisit those sorts of past, very scarring incidents. So I think we should just let the past be past. Sure. We should have a nice trip in a hot air balloon together and just... <laughs> just let it, let it all roll off our backs. Yeah. Uh, Joining us right now, I'm very, very excited to bring this part of my life into things, Doug. Coming from (laughs) Los Angeles, a television writer, Jason Holtham from the TV show Pitch. Hello. Welcome. Hey, glad to be here. Glad to be on with you guys and uh, talk a little baseball. Yeah, uh, it's it's not real baseball, but it (laughs) is. Uh, We're talking about the San Diego Padres the yes. the fictional Fox TV version, um, head yeah. led by Mark Paul, Paul Gosseler, which, uh, as people may not know, he actually has an alter ego that is not Zack Slater. <laughs> it is Mike Lawson. Mike Zach Slater. Hold on, let's just go back to that for a second. <laughs> Wait, did I get it wrong? It's AC Slater and Zach, Zach Morris. Morris. Thank you, Zach Morris. Come on, man. I did watch that show. I should have known that. All right. Well, Doug, you can take over now. I need to go into timeout over here. But, <laughs> uh, but Jason, this is a uh, great. Thanks for having us. Uh, you you did not create pitch, but you were on the staff for the whole season, so you uh, you know probably you helped develop that show uh, as yep. well as anybody else. So can you talk yep. a little bit about the San sure. Diego Padres on TV? Sure, yeah. I mean, working on pitch was a great, great gig. Uh, I'm a lifelong baseball fan. I'm from New York, so I am a Yankees fan, um, which I kept largely quiet in the room. One of the other writers is a Boston fan, and they have a tendency to take up a lot of oxygen. So <laughs> I just I just let them, because, you know, 27 championships is, is comfort enough. Uh, and so, you know, we, we talked a lot about baseball. What was great about working on the show is that we had a lot of involvement from Major League Baseball. And we really, really worked to get the details right. We made a show uh, that was as about baseball, obviously. Uh, it was about a lot of things. Uh, but we wanted the baseball to be right. We wanted baseball fans to watch it and go, yeah, that's how, that's how it is. Or even better, that's a part of the game I didn't know existed. Uh, or I've never seen on TV uh, or any other screen. And we wanted to, to bring that to life. What was something that you can like specifically recall in that regard where maybe the writers who are just writers are like, I want to tell a good story. I don't mm-hmm. really care about the baseball. But then you or someone else was like, well, what about this? And then they're like, oh, wait, that's really cool. We should write that in the show. Was oh, that moment? <laughs> oh, there were so many things. I mean, we did have a lot of baseball fans. There were only a couple of people who were not baseball people. Um, uh, Molly Knight, uh, the journalist who's covered the Dodgers, came in, and she would give us, she would blow our brains every time she came in. 
uh, giving us sort of details. One of the things that we were really excited to get in there uh, was the kangaroo court, um, which is a somewhat dying tradition, but still a tradition in baseball, where the players uh, basically hold a little court and fine each other for infractions like using too much manscaping uh, and playing terrible music in the locker rooms, but as well as, uh, you know, uh, screw-ups on the field as well. So we wanted to make sure to bring that to something that people hadn't seen before. Um, and that was something we built an entire episode around uh, once we once we discovered it. Um, so that was one of the, the sort of big baseball things that we were excited about. Uh, God, we spent so much time on the trades <laughs> um, I'm working on getting the money right with the salary cap. One of the other writers in the room, Jonathan Igla, uh, is a huge baseball fan and a big baseball nerd, and he really crunched all the numbers to make the San, our San Diego Padres payroll come out exactly right. <laughs> um, it, it, in the trading episode, trade deadline episode, it was really key to make sure we were making legitimate moves uh, and making it making all the baseball look real. So is, so is the fictional salary like the same as the the real Padres salaries? Is we that... worked we worked off of what the Padres what their payroll is. I think we bumped it up a little bit because uh, obviously our Padres are are slightly better than the <laughs> uh, actual real world Padres, uh, just so that they could be at least in the running for a playoff spot. Sorry, San Diego, we love you. You guys are the best. <laughs> Uh, Petco was a, a great home for us, um, but yeah, so we we bumped it up a little bit um, to make you know make to make it real. I want to point something. I want to get into this a little bit because this was the part of watching the show that I I enjoyed the most because I'm a selfish Giants fan, and that is in the San Francisco. First of all, in the San Francisco episode, yeah. if you didn't see it, uh, Ginny, I guess she was kind of tiring out, so they decided they were going to just skip her start, which was fine because yeah. the fifth starter didn't need to go for this weekend series in San Francisco. And yeah. what winds up happening is they go into deep into extra innings. It's a great situation. Like yeah. this probably it felt a lot like you guys actually just pulled a box score from something recent. <laughs> like it was that convincing. You did a great job. But like Ginny was held back. She wasn't going to pitch. She comes in in like the 12th inning and there's yep. like runners at first and second. And yep. uh, and I think she gets the double play to get out of the inning. Uh, yep. But in any case, it was a perfect Giants Padres game and it was a deflating extra innings loss in in a perfectly Giants way and so I guess my question is what were the Giants ever considered like a character were the other teams considered like characters and did you decide like so did you characterize them in the room like this is how we want our Giants to be and if so what was that thinking Oh man, that was all great. That, I love that episode so much. It's one of my favorites of the, of the one we did um, with with Ginny and the the catcher to first baseman back to catcher double play, which is so rare. Yes. For us, one our showrunner Kevin is from Stockton and yes. is a huge, huge Giants fan, uh, and that was a, a big source of of contention in the room because he wanted the Giants to actually come out looking pretty good. Um, <laughs> And also, since we were shooting uh, at um, oh, AT&T Park, at yeah. AT Park, uh, the Giants also had a stake in making sure that they come out good. So even though they lose that game, the Giants most definitely win that series. <laughs> and that 
that was one of the concessions that we made. Uh, we loved <laughs> writing for all the teams. We loved like writing those games and writing that deep baseball stuff um, and really building that rivalry uh, with the Giants. Um, well, because we're the, the bad guys pilot. in the pilot, which is so great. In the pilot, awesome. doesn't... Like in the pilot, the Dodgers beat up on Ginny in her first start, and then her second yep. start, she comes out and beats the Giants, right? Yeah, she was perfectly Giants. <laughs> uh, that, I did make that a point in an article I wrote. Was basically that is very true to ba- baseball, where a struggling pitcher right. would get good, get healthy against the Giants. <laughs> but uh, Giants. that was an interesting concession that the Giants made. Just make yep. us look good by making us look as bad as we can look. <laughs> well, it's just the one game. I mean, they were playing. Right, that's what I'm saying. They were like, we'll, we'll lose the game, but we won the series, which you don't see. You just see us losing badly. Exactly. Uh, so, what was. So, over the course of the season, I mean, if you haven't watched the show, folks, I. As soon as it comes on a streaming platform, I don't know what it's going to be. but It's on Hulu right now. It's on Hulu, Hulu right watch, now, great. Watch all episodes right now on Hulu. There's only 10 episodes, and it, because it's network television, it's really like 36 minutes. So you'll <laughs> blow through it in no time. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really well done. Uh, I would say that, yeah, first of all, knowing if anybody knows anything about what it takes to produce TV, you're shooting eight pages or shooting eight pages a day. And you've got basically eight days to shoot an episode. Um, roughly speaking, um, these are not 64 page scripts, but there's in this show, there's a ton of technical stuff with all the baseball and it's at least as good as your mid budget feature film baseball. Like this stuff is pro grade top. It looks good. You can, you would not be surprised to watch this on a big screen. It holds up very well. You've got a compelling main character. Uh, uh, Kylie Benbury is was great. Um, she was in Twisted was my first exposure to her. Oh, and wow. She's really good. Uh, and she's really good. And Mark Paul Gossler is, uh, is I think we all ex- were surprised when he did so well in NYPD Blue. But this is like a different, like growing up with him as Zach... Slater, <laughs> right, Morris. Uh, but anyway, but he comes in. You know, he's this he's this catcher, and I he's the he's the grizzled catcher. And I think yeah. for me, watching the preview at first, I thought, oh, maybe this is going to be a little more Buster Posey, and it really wasn't. It was really more. I don't know. He was just really the grizzled vet, and he captured yeah. it well, and really took to the part. So in the room, I mean, you guys must have been sort of like, oh, he's totally game. We can go anywhere yeah. with this. That was exciting. Oh yeah, coming into it, we we knew that because uh, Kevin Falls, the showrunner, had worked with him on Franklin and Bash and loves him, and he was he and Kylie uh, and Mo McRae are three sort of top line leads there, uh, who carried the most of the weight of the baseball. Worked so hard and like really threw themselves into it. I mean, Mark grew the big baseball player beard, uh, but all of them were training with pros. Uh, week in and week out to to get in shape and to to get their baseball playing ready uh, for prime time um, and it was great uh, the whole crew like all of those extras not extras all the like background players and the bit players on the team a lot of them are were college players and minor league players so that really added to sort of the verit- verisimilitude of the feeling and really to the like camaraderie of the our of our locker room. Um, and everything we threw at Kylie and Mark, they would do, and they would love it, uh, and stepped up, oh, God, I'm going to use a baseball metaphor, to the plate, and knocked it out of the park. Hey, (laughs) oh! 
I'd get fined in the room for that, but I'm not there right now. So yay! It was great. They were all awesome. Uh, I I guess so. Then going forward, because this is what the the point of it is the preview and, and yes. uh, folks, uh, the NL West is exciting. <laughs> but I think we'd all agree, Giants fans, that for the most part, when the Giants and the Padres get together, it's it's painful. And and I don't know if you've gone and if you know anything about the recent Giants Padres history. And I'm going to say within the last, I don't know, Doug, this sounds about right, seven or eight years. Yeah, basically since 2010. Yeah, these what games that? between them have been uh, wars of attrition. Oh, God. And, you know, David Eckstein hitting a, a, a late game home run to win oh. a one nothing game. Or oh. the, Gi- the Giants losing a one-hitter. Uh, <laughs> God, Harrison homering in the ninth inning to tie and the 12th to win. Yeah. Oh my God! It's it's just garbage. They're just <laughs> they're just excruciating games to watch. They're just boring. So yeah, season one of Pitch, which you can watch on Hulu again, uh, ends with uh, with Ginny Baker, uh, yeah. the, the star pitcher, going in uh, for an MRI, having an elbow uh, problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and the Padres traded for a backup or traded for a catcher. Yeah, when, when there's when the face of their franchise is this is catcher is yeah Zach Morris exactly and and they tried to trade away the face of the franchise and like had a public you know going away party for him gave him a, a farewell curtain call uh, and then pulled the pulled the trade at the last minute so going into 2017 our the pitch San Diego Padres is a bunch of question marks is Ginny going to come back uh, is Mike ever going to really regain his place on the team. Um, not to mention there's still some front office issues. I don't know. There's a, it's a, there's a lot going on. There's a lot in play for us coming into, coming into uh, our next season. And we're excited to, to get a chance to show people what happens. And you look at uh, Blip, who, who's good, who's kind of yep. in his prime, but is probably on the – he's kind of on the aging end of that, of that prime. So he's yeah. going to be a year older and uh, deal with all that. Um, the new ownership – they they probably might not want to hold back from. Uh, they probably want to win, right? Yeah, so, start putting a team, putting a, putting out a team that can win games and and can make a run at the NL West. I mean, they they want to this year. You know, for us on the show, they were in the mix. They were a couple of games out of a play a playoff spot, um, and they're hoping to get a little bit better to get in there. And uh, maybe that's going to be you know trading for some new players and bringing in some new people. We brought in. Uh, Levon Duarte, our, our hotshot Cuban uh, catcher, uh, who was just raking in his few uh, appearances in the majors, like just incredible slash numbers. But, you know, he can't do it all by himself. Uh, and we got a couple holes to fill in the pitcher spot. So who knows what we're gonna, who's going to be taking the field when, uh, when pitch comes back. What would be interesting... Interesting is if you guys uh, brought in some really high name guest stars as mm-hmm. call up as call ups, <laughs> and then they they go away. Uh, I couldn't think of a young name real quick because I was like, you know, you could bring in some some veteran TV stars, but like Rob yeah. Lowe can't play baseball now. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we can't bring Rob Lowe in. He's that's, he's, that's... he's way too old. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, you could get um, oh, I was so close. You could bring in Channing Tatum. Yeah, as like a as, as like a four A guy. Yeah. Like, this is his last chance. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't. He just he dances and he's entertaining to be around. Exactly. But ultimately, can't make the team. So you can do stuff like that. as the Tim Tebow of fictional Padres. <laughs> oh, oh, my so oh my god, 
Dad, we got to do that. Oh, my God. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, spring training is full of great storylines for us to play with, and we'd love to start the season from there and see, pick up where these where we left off with everyone a few months later. Uh, so when so who so then you're looking for it and you're trying to you're trying to keep quiet about the Yankees, but you're looking uh, to yeah. pitch you're trying to pitch your ideas and yep. and so you can't start them all with well if this was the Yankees they would <laughs> that, <laughs> can't that see that. well, <laughs> but I I mean I guess when you're a huge baseball fan and you're trying to tell a story, at what point how do you do you even bother with separating? Taking reality, you know, this, all the various stories in the in the huge history of Major League Baseball, you know, the three of us, we could come up with all these random oh, stories. Yeah. Oh my you know, God. Marty Cordova going on the DL because he got, you know, he burned his skin off in a tanning <laughs> bed, you know, whatever. Uh, or the All Star Game team photo. Remember, wasn't it Mike Piazza who got his nose broken by <laughs> by Cal Ripken or something when they were getting off the risers? I don't know. Yeah. So, how does the room just not turn into one of those sessions where it, that's what's happening? It does. I mean, we had a lot of those sessions where everyone told their like favorite baseball stories. You know, Robin Ventura uh, taking on Nolan Ryan showed up a couple, three times. Um, I would tell some great stories about the Yankees. Uh, Becky <laughs> Hartman Edwards always was always bringing it back to the Boston Red Sox uh, and worked in every attempt to bring in Boston Red Sox players. If we could have gotten Poppy in there, she would have been the happiest human being ever. And it all just filters into the story. Like, eventually these things, like, surface in, and sometimes in weird ways. Like, one of the problems we had to solve, you know, we when we were dealing with the sort of the ownership and trying to, to figure out how to make some of our ownership moves, uh, we wound up basically using uh, the Seattle Mariners uh, ownership setup where they were owned by a company uh, separate from, like, a person. Because they're mm-hmm. one of the three teams that does that, uh, that's that's structured like that. Because surprisingly, uh, Major League Baseball makes ownership very difficult and does a lot to re- reduce drama in the ownership system. Um, and so in order for us to make that room, we used that, and we built that in there. Um, and certainly other stories came up. Um, uh, Wally Pip is a, one of my favorite little bits that shows up in the season, uh, the guy that uh, Lou Gehrig replaced. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, Wally Pip was the first yeah. baseman. Uh, right. hmm? No, that's right. I forgot yep. about it. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a great sort of bit of baseball lore that just found its way into the episodes. And that's what we did all day. We talked about baseball and story. It was great. So so the wife swapping, that happens in season three? We, I'm, I've got a pitch for that. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Major League Baseball is less inclined to uh, support that. But, we'll see. but you could just be like, yeah. Commissioner, this actually happened. <laughs> oh, oh, they're aware. They are very aware of what actually happened. Oh, yeah. So they were great. Uh, well, fantastic. Uh, and I guess let's cover real quick. I mean, how did you get so fortunate as to be able to write like one of the few times in the history of entertainment that there's a major league baseball TV show? Uh, and I think clubhouse was the last time they tried something like this on oh. CBS with Dean Kane oh my and Christopher God. Lloyd. Jesus. Uh, Ow. That is a deep cut. My friend. That is, <laughs> Ow. 
and and I think before that, I, I can't even recall. I'm sure there's something like that. But I mean, yeah. uh, there's been things like Playmakers, and and right. uh, I think then there's an NBA show on Showtime briefly. But uh, yep. you know, this is this had the full throated support of Major League Baseball. Fox is behind 100. percent But then you, uh, a, a hardworking writer, <laughs> making the name. And then you're just you're a huge baseball fan, and then hey, here's pitch. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, it happened mostly like that. You know, uh, I used to write plays in New York. I moved out to L.A. a few years ago to pursue TV and film. Uh, I was working with my agent. I went out on a bunch of meetings, uh, and none of those quite popped. But when this spot on pitch opened up, uh, the Jess who works for Dan Fogelman's company, the the producers, called around to his friends, and someone recommended me. And I just really vibed. I mean, I read the pilot and I was blown away. It's a great um, pilot script. It, the pilot is so amazing. Yep. And it is exactly that. Like, I don't write, you know, sports stuff or anything like that. I'm a bit of a, a comic book geek. But, like I said, lifelong Yankee fan. Was lucky enough to live in New York between 96 and 2002, uh, which was pretty much the most glorious time in baseball history ever anywhere. Uh, I'm shaking my head. I'm shaking my head quite a bit right now. So. Actually, the most glorious time was between 2010 and 2014. We just had it. <laughs> I missed that. Hey, now. Anyway, <laughs> times. Uh, great oldies. And so, yeah, uh, I just got really, really lucky. Like, I was in the right place in the right time to work on a project that I cared about with some of the best writers I've ever met in my life. Well, that's great. Uh, and hey, you know what? The Yankees, they do have a little bit of that money ball on them. And uh, yep. they're, they're not just throwing money at every single problem they have. Thank but, God uh, they finally learned that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's hard when it works for so long. So long. Uh, uh, so, okay, great. Well, if anyone wants to harass you or follow you online, are you on the social media? I'm on the social media. Yep. You can catch me on Twitter. It's probably the best place, uh, at Jay Holtham on the Twitter machines is the best place to reach me and then get my retweets and my random thoughts about life and writing and baseball. Yeah, so people should go watch Pitch yes. right now, watch the whole season out. If they have any compliments only and or questions, <laughs> good questions, shoot them your way. And, uh, and, and good luck to your Yankees. No, good luck to your fictional Padres. Good we'll luck to my there. fictional Padres. My Yankees. fictional Padres. Yeah. The fictional Padres, good luck to them. We love right. them. We love to see them again. <laughs> Uh, they don't Jason, have Richard. We're grateful. <laughs> uh, well, Jason, thanks again for joining us, and uh, take care. My pleasure being on. Thank you. All right, let's get to our Twitter questions for this week. We ask every week uh, through our various accounts at Mick Croncast, at Every Six Day, at Moonwalk McFly. Send us your Twitter questions. It could be about anything. Usually, it's about anything. Baseball. Anything. <laughs> But baseball is probably the best thing to ask us. But this week, Doug, we did get everything. <laughs> That's true. Uh, at Wolfman Zach four one five, the good old weed detective, the only <laughs> one of his kind. He asks, "Why is the sky blue?" Thanks in advance, weed detective. Thanks for wasting our time. But Doug, why is the sky blue? Thanks in advance. Uh, well, when I was a kid, we had to do a play about why the sky was blue. And uh, not understanding primary colors, we said it was because uh, that somehow the colors of uh, green and yellow had combined in the sky to be blue, which it turns out is not accurate. Green and yellow do not create blue. <laughs> so I would like to just use this opportunity to apologize to anyone who watched that play um, for the inaccurate information we gave you. 
<laughs> Wait, so who wrote it? All of you? <laughs> yeah, it was just a bunch of us kids who, 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 you know, we had to come up with a play about why the sky was blue. We were like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, were you in it? Uh, yeah. No, it was like some camp play, you uh, know? All right. Or maybe a skit. Anyway, the real answer is that um, the sky is blue because it reflects the ocean. And if you want to know why the ocean is blue, it's because it reflects the sky. <laughs> and uh, not too long ago, there was an article about the color blue being something that human beings didn't recognize because there's no descriptions of it in ancient texts. Like in the Odyssey, it's the ocean is called the wine dark sea. You know, it's oh. it's not blue. So to me, it's just that there is like still primordial ooze around a long time ago. So nothing was blue because there's just like, you know, like dragon sludge or dinosaur poop everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually have a good, there yeah. used to be dinosaur poop everywhere. You heard it here first. The actual only weird, like not substantiated by science belief I feel like I have is that we are simply small cells in a larger organism. <laughs> That's it. Well, man. I know. Because whenever mind. you keep looking at you know, intergalactic stuff or look at the world, it looks like you're looking under a microscope in some way. In some ways. I mean, we are looking at it through a telescope. But, you know, when we look at organisms through a, a microscope, it kind of reflects or it has similarities to the bigger world. So we're just smaller parts, man. There's something bigger. <laughs> we could just be one cell floating around in a bigger body. We don't know. <laughs> what if, like, we're the universe and the universe is us? Think <laughs> I, about it. I feel like you're bookending the answer, man, with like the ocean is blue, so the sky's blue. <laughs> but you may be right. As always, Doug may be right. <laughs> oh, follow-up question from Weed Detective. And it's like he's just getting it in as he's closing the door. He like opens it up again. Oh, and how are babies made? Okay, thanks. And then he closed the door. And how are babies made? Hmm. Doug? Uh, no one knows. <laughs> Well, when a, fall, when, a, when a man loves a woman very much, the man looks at the woman, and the woman's child is reflected back through the man. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, what happens <laughs> is the guy says, and, you know, somebody draws a baby, and the woman looks at the baby, and the guy sees the reflection <laughs> of the baby in her eyes, and then the baby comes to life. From the paper. And that's why the, babies are stupid looking because people aren't very good at drawing. And then that's where the line, the baby looked at you, came from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, and then uh, n- next question comes from one of my favorite Twitter follows ever. At uh, Whalewolf uh, asks, why is it called a cult and not a family fun pact? <laughs> <laughs> well, Carly Rae Jetson... <laughs> Uh, I would say that uh, they should do that. And I would say that Family Fun Pact is a term that was born of, what, 1960s marketing, which comes after cult, the idea, was settled on. So this is just going to be an evolutionary thing. Well, eventually it will supplant the the real word, like Kleenex and tissue. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. I think it's it's absolutely the right thing to do. Also, family fun pact. Scientology is a family fun pact. That's right. Uh, and if you're into politics, a family fun pack. 
<laughs> uh, political action committee, that is. Uh, okay. <laughs> that was our attempt at mirth. I thought it was kind of funny. Anyway. <laughs> uh, the next question comes from... Uh, March 19th, oh yes, Adam Herendeen at the underscore, underscore, underscore Irishman. What are the odds Cueto stays with the Giants after this season? I mean, they could re-sign him. That's not, that's not impossible. That's, what are we going to say, 15% chance of that? <laughs> yeah, I, I would cap it at 15% for sure. I can't. I mean, and that's that's not to say that he wouldn't resign here. It's just the needs of the Giants and sort of what looks like right now the strength of their farm system and the financial position there, and they probably wouldn't be able to. They wouldn't want to, and they'd want to make room for some new guys. But um, but I mean, he seems like he's enjoyed his time here. It's not like he wouldn't come back, but he's definitely opting out. And so, fifteen percent. I mean, from the Giants' perspective, based on what they're telling us he is the one who's blocking Ty Block from getting into the rotation. <laughs> right. So. Because <laughs> Matt Cain's spot is guaranteed. Exactly. So get the hell out of here, Johnny Cueto. We want to watch Ty Block pitch. <laughs> yeah, right? Come on, make way for the all-star. Uh, at Not Really Calvin asks, uh, how many regular season games will Pence miss while mourning the loss of one of the founders of Waffle House. Okay, so this is news to me. I didn't know that one of the founders of Waffle House passed away. Neither did I. And apparently this was um, so important to not really Calvin that he asked it twice on March <laughs> 17th and March 19th. So um, not Calvin, or at least not really Calvin. Uh, we, we are very also very sad that one of the founders of Waffle House passed away. And we can only imagine the grief that Hunter Pence is feeling. But as a professional, and one who's been to IHOP recently, I'm assuming, I think <laughs> it's going to be okay. I just Googled Waffle House because I realized I've never been to a Waffle House in my entire life. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not kidding. So the first search result is the Waffle House company website, number one. Number two, top stories. Security guard thrown to the ground, held at gunpoint at Waffle House. Gainesville, Gainesville man wanted in Jasper Waffle House robbery. North Georgia police searching for man wanted in Waffle House robbery. This is all within the last 24 hours. <laughs> well, so the real answer then, I guess, is we couldn't get the news on Waffle House because there is just too much news about Waffle House. I, I now see that there's, uh, no, there's no Waffle House in LA. There's nothing. I'm going to click on their Twitter link real quick. Uh, oh, come on. This is brutal. Okay, someone retweeting something. Oh, a picture. So, okay, this is a Texas Waffle House, I guess. So, I guess the idea is when he played with the Astros, he was big into the Waffle well, he's House? From, well, he's from Texas, He's, I think. he's from Texas. So he would have okay. grown up going to Waffle Why wouldn't Brandon Belt be upset about that? Because Brandon Belt's an Olive Garden guy. But not he's exclusively. Brandon Belt is very loyal to okay, Olive go Garden. to the Waffle House Twitter page. And look at their media. Uh, it's on their homepage. If you're on your phone, I guess you can't really do that. But like their sixth media image is a stack of waffles. It looks great. Fantastic. I would say, I would still say Waffle House and IHOP are probably on par. That's, yeah. that's my judgment. So he can't be that broken up about it because he can go to an IHOP. So he'd just be upset with the, 
the idea that Waffle House is gone, I don't know. I think he's fine. He's also married. He's got other crap to think about. Yeah, he gets coffee too much. He's not going to miss games because of the Waffle House thing. He's going to miss games because his hamstring or his back or his, <laughs> his elbow or something like that. Uh, all right. Uh, Rob Hainer, good, good, solid Twitter questioner. Uh, in what month does Parker break Bobby Pond's strikeout record? May? June? Well, this is a good question. Um, it's, it's tough to see it happening before August, but not that tough because he's going to strike out a lot. Like, he, he got a sombrero today on Tuesday as we record this. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of strikeouts. Uh, if he is a full-time starter, then I would say August. However... If he's not a full-time starter, if maybe he strikes out too much, his flaws get exploited, eventually Mac Williamson is healthy and he gets called up, or, you know, Chris Morero or Mike Morse or whoever ends up as a starter in left field, then, well, sorry, Jarrett. <laughs> but full-time starter Jarrett Parker breaks Bobby Bonds' franchise strikeout record in August. Uh, I want to say something about Jarrett Parker. When I was reading um, an article the other day for Bags about Jaigun Huang making the team, uh, that Jarrett Parker went up to him, and I guess they're practicing Japanese with him and his translator. Him, I totally blank on who the other player was now. Um, Trevor Brown. Trevor Brown, thank you. I don't know. I kind of like Jarrett Parker. <laughs> I mean, he, he took an interest in his teammate, and uh, and he, he definitely... <laughs> it was actually... The quote actually made me go, okay, this is not totally altruistic. He goes, if I was in Korea playing and I didn't speak the language, you know, I would, you know, appreciate my teammates helping me out. That is a clear signal of if things don't work out for me this year, I'm going to Korea. So there's definitely that. But I appreciate that because that is being self-aware enough to know where you exist as a baseball, what, what your nexus is as a baseball player. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, Jarrett Parker knows that if it does not work out for him here, he will have a career in Korea. <laughs> Brett Pill was a star there. Jarrett Parker could be too. Right. And Brett Pill made about what seven million dollars there. So, I, I, yeah, he did well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so good for Jarrett Parker. And uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, would Morse? Okay. At Steve's or at S Fenson nineteen. Steve Fenson asks: Would Morse making the team actually help Parker avoid a platoon role? Bochy's not likely to trust Morse for nine innings in left field. Well, that's still a platoon. If, if I, mean, I, would, I would say, yeah, he he might avoid a platoon role by now being a defensive replacement, <laughs> yeah. which is not better. But it's a defensive platoon, so it's right. still a platoon. Uh, I would say Morse making the team just helps the bench, and I, I would say I would say it looks like they're pretty sober on what Morse would be. I don't. My feeling is, and based on everything I'm reading, is they'd never really expected him to take versus when they signed him in 2014 to be the left fielder. I don't get that sense at all that that's what Morse would be this time around. That they fully expect him to just be your backup. Yeah, they, he would maybe start once or twice a week, very possibly at first base. DH. Yeah, but not a you know real full-time left field starter. And then, Steve, you asked us a, a question that we already touched upon about Ty Block. Um, you know, 
is he is he the best replacement for Will Smith and his ailing elbow, at least in the short term? And I'm not in favor of it because I think it's going to help trash the bullpen by weakening the starting rotation. But he is the best replacement at the same time. Yeah, that seems... I mean, they had, the Giants had 7,000 minor league veterans in camp, but it seems like Ty yeah. Block is probably the best. Better yeah, than <laughs> I don't think we want Matt Reynolds coming into the game uh, at any point in time. Yeah. Uh, all right, I really want to thank uh, Adam and Jason for joining us. That was really great, and your qu- Twitter questions were great. Doug, how do you feel about this week's show? I feel like it was good. I think, uh, I think we gave 110%. We did our due diligence on the guests, and it, it worked out nicely. I got some, you know, really random but names wrong, but still names I should have known. Um, you know, with with the uh, Rusty reference and and the Zach and the Zach Morris reference. You know, uh, I kind of I kind of biffed it. I'm 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 thinking. You know, today was an, a fifty. I was a fifty grade podcaster today. Okay. Well. <laughs> Just uh, just make sure, you know, you, you rub some dirt on it and you'll be good to go tomorrow. All right. Thanks. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you.